the words of Captain America, we're in the end game now. The title race is coming close to a conclusion. The relegation race, the race to survive is coming close to its conclusion as well. The race for top four is coming close to its conclusion. There is so much to play for in this season. But before we talk about all the wonderful things about who's going to win the league or how things are going to go, we want to take a step back to look at previous title races involving Liverpool and Chelsea and have a bit of a reflective podcast this week. As of recording, Arsenal versus Man City has not kicked off yet, so we will not be previewing that game because there's absolutely no point. As you were hearing these words, you know exactly what happened. You know who won or lost or drew, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. It's in God's hands. <laughs> but I wanted to start with you. Um, mm, 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 mm. Both M's. <laughs> I'm joined as usual by Ma- Matthew, mm-hmm. Marcus. Craig is here for hey. us, with us for part two, where we're going to talk about our um, Mount Rushmore of football opinions. This is part one. Part two will get very spicy of that particular conversation. But start off with, for you, Marcus, when it comes down to conversations around the running, obviously you've been there over numerous years as a Liverpool fan, we've seen success, we've seen near misses. And then, of course, we had the Rodgers season, which is a whole separate category all to itself. But what's really important for you as a fan as you go into these kind of final games in the, in the stretch? Yeah, well, I, think, I think one thing that has to be considered from a fan's perspective is to really try to enjoy it. Because I know for myself, um, you know, Liverpool have always been chasing that elusive Premier League title and it wasn't until COVID title where we, you know, finally made that happen. And and I think that, you know, we were so far ahead COVID year, it was inevitable we was going to win the title. The only thing that was going to stop us was COVID. Um, you know, COVID was our biggest competition that year. Um, and, and I think that before that, in all the other run-ins, there was this deep sense of, desperation for the title that you almost couldn't enjoy the process um and and i think you know that would be you know my number one kind of fan tip in the process is to take a step back and really enjoy the race enjoy the games enjoy the running enjoy the drama that comes with them enjoy the ups embrace the downs um and and yeah make, make the most of the process because you know from a Liverpool perspective, you know, I, I still think the greatest title race of all time outside of, you know, in terms of in terms of outside of Aguero's winner, which was great, but in terms of quality of title race, um, it was Liverpool Man City um in 2018-19. And just for some perspective of how massive of a title race that was, that started that title race pretty much started halfway through the season when Liverpool went 17 games unbeaten and they won their last nine games in a row and man city was able to pit them to the title by a point because they won 14 games in a row now that is a major major title race and that that i think sets the standard for title races where you say look like you can win nine games in a row and go and beat for your final 17 games the season only lose one game all year and you're still not winning the league 
is so, bonkers. The, the level of competitiveness at that end is is huge. And I'll I'll save some stuff to touch on that when we get back to Arsenal a little bit later. But I think that's some of my thoughts on on you know the title race from a, a Liverpool perspective. Yeah, I think that's quite insightful. I think it's quite interesting as well. Just the, you know, when you look at those those runs you both went on, and the fact that you know thirteen games unbeaten, fourteen games of winless win run streak, and and they pip you to the post at one point. For you, Matthew, because obviously right now Chelsea are in a, um, you know, you, you nickname it Charity <laughs> FC. You're in a different race, and you call it Charity <laughs> FC. Obviously, Frankie mm-hmm. Frankie Frank is back, and he's not quite been able to sprinkle whatever magic he had as a manager, the jury's still out on the team. But when you look back on the, you know, the, the title runs you've had, obviously when Conte was in charge, when he switched to the back three after my wonderful team demolished them at the bridge, no, at the Emirates. Yep. Just remember that tonight, boys, as of recording. <laughs> um, but like for you, what, what was really important when you look back on all those title races that you've, you've lived through? It's running a race. It's literally like running your race and just refusing to look behind you. Because the moment you start looking behind is, it's, it's a simple enough explanation as you don't know what's going to come ahead. You know, everyone's focusing on this one, this one game. Everyone's putting their focus on in this game because this is the one we're waiting for. This is the one they said it was going to decide. But you've still got at least, what, six or seven games ahead. What yep. you don't want to do is look behind at the potential, you know, your nearest rivals and stumble along the way on your remaining games. Because... It's got it's got it's got the potential to get much more difficult after this. I mean, you're playing, you still got a challenging running at the best at anyway. So it's just really enjoying that, just just staying focused. I mean, the last time we won the title, and this was something that a mistake that I made. We were going on a bit of a run, just unbeatable. Conte had us playing. We I think we lost like one, maybe two games along the way to winning the title. There were two games that were really pivotal. One was when we lost to Crystal Palace. Now, Crystal Palace at the time were a bit of a bogey team for us. I remember us scoring first. And then the unexpected happens. Not only did they score against us, they scored against us twice wow. in the first half. And I am watching, I'm looking ahead, I'm on my phone, I'm scrolling on my laptop being like, like when's the second goal coming? Because I'm normally, I'm used to it coming and it, and it didn't come. That hit me back a little bit. Then then there was the actual game. I think we were done a bit of a favour by, I want to say Middlesbrough or Leicester. They beat Tottenham to kind of hold the, kind of hold them back a little bit. So if we won our next game, uh, we'll be champions. That mm. happened to be away at West uh, West Brom, and I remember just losing the focus a little bit because I was at a pub quiz. You're not, and anyone's been to a pub quiz knows you're not allowed to be on your phone. And yet there's this there's this geezer <laughs> right here constantly doing this, just waiting and waiting and waiting because it's West Brom. I'm thinking we should be turning these guys. I think we lost we won our previous game like three or four one. No, it was Middlesbrough. We won three nil. Mm. I'm scrolling away thinking just. Breathe, get it ready. And then uh, Batshuayi comes through the special and gives us that one, you know, keep the title. So you're in a good position. I mean, even though even when you're in a good position, it's still, it still pays to look ahead. Always look ahead. I say it at school, I say, you know, the best athletes, like your bolts when you're running the races, they're always looking forward. They're not worried about what's behind them. The, 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 the goal in mind is right there. So if you're saying that, Marcus, like having fun at the same time, and looking ahead, knowing what's there, it's going to be a great time. So just run your race. Keep the blinders on. Straight on. Yeah, I, f- I think that's great great advice. Obviously, unfortunately, we, we've gone on a three-game winless streak, an unbeaten streak, but winless. So depending on how you want to look at it, it's just positives there and there's some negatives. For you, Mark, looking at the last couple of games Arsenal have played, 
obviously putting aside the City game because we just don't know what's going to happen because we're not there yet. But you are, listeners. You are. We're not. Um, but looking at the last few games, so West Ham, obviously the Liverpool game, and I really want to get your thoughts on that. Let's start with that game in particular. Liverpool game, the 2-2 at Anfield. What were your was your impressions and thoughts from that game, just like watching it live and obviously now on reflection in light of the following two matches that have came? Yeah, look, I, I if I'm honest, I'm a little worried for Arsenal um, based on what I've seen over the last couple of games. I, I think the Liverpool game was a really good chance for Arsenal to show that, look, we can handle big occasions and in a title race when the pressure's on us and we're being hunted down, we've got what this takes. And you had everything lined up for you to do that in that game. Like, you dominated us for the first, well, first 10 minutes was relatively even, but then you broke out and you started to dominate us. You got a 2 0 lead, and I'm sat there thinking, you know, I'm sat there in Portugal, surrounded by Arsenal fans, because apparently we went to an anti Liverpool hotel. Um, you know, thanks to my wife, um, who's a massive <laughs> United fan. She Googled it, I'm sure, because there was literally barely any other Liverpool fans in sight. Um, and I was surrounded by Arsenal fans. Anyway, you're 2 0 up, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a mauling. Like, you know, all Arsenal need to do now is sit back and pip us on the counter-attack, play this game well, managers, and they'll beat us 4-5-1 game over, right? We're going to have to come out of our shell. They're going to press. And, 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 you know, I've said it. I've said it before. It's small things at Anfield that made the difference. And, you know, Arteta last year at Anfield decided to piss off the fans and get in a little scuffle with Klopp on the sideline. And Anfield basically just said, we don't like that. Like, And they reacted and they rose and Liverpool respond to Anfield when they rise. And it was the same with Shaka this time when he when he had his little moment where he lost it. And, and, and Anfield rose. And we got that goal before halftime. And honestly... The second half, I, I feel, was about as one-sided as the second half where we beat Man United 7-0, apart from the fact that we didn't get everything going for us in the way that we wanted to go in the goal-scoring end. We had control of the game. We dominated forward. We had four or five massive chances. Ramsdale made a couple of great saves. I will also say that you could have won the game there as well, right at the end on the counter-attack. Yeah. Um, but, but, I, but I think all in all, a draw was was the best Arsenal could have asked for, considering the nature of the way the game played out. I, I, I left very disappointed that we didn't win that game. I think with missed penalty, which was a soft penalty, no doubt, um, and the the save from Ramsdale tipping Salas around the post, um, and the clearance off the line um, from the from the corner. Um, you know, I think them 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 chances alone was enough that I think we should have we should have really came away winning that game. But, but yeah, obviously what's followed with the two draws again has shown Arsenal's frailty in a title race. You know, 2 nil lead against West Ham really shouldn't be thrown that way. You've got to get your act together in them big moments and say, no, look, they've got one goal back. Get your shit together. Get in positions. We're not conceding this. Obviously, you then missed a penalty in, in that game too. Um, and then they scored, what, five minutes later? Uh, might even be less. Um, and the Southampton game was shambolic. Like, you know, you, you got out of that game incredibly fortunately at the end with two late goals. But to be going behind after one minute, you know, when you when again, you're, you know, these, 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 these are not moments of 
kind of, you know, okay, well, you know, it was just great play or whatever, you know, it, poor mistakes by Ramsdale, moments where, you know, you can't be concentrating in the first 60 seconds of a football game. Like, you know, w- w- what is going on in, in them types of moments? For me, that leads me to worry about Arsenal. And partly not just because Arsenal are in a title race, but because Manchester City are the absolute kings of knowing how to do this. They've been there before. They know how to get results. They know how to grind them out. They know how to pass the ball around and bore the life out of us for 60 minutes after they're 3-0 up already. Like, that's what Man City do, and that's what Man City do well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Man City win every game between now and the end of the season. So I think the pressure is really on Arsenal. Um, because if you think about it, you play City tonight, but then after that you have Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton. Two teams that are on great form and Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think as I've been saying it for weeks that I think Man City will win the title. I still feel that way, but I think Arsenal really are in the decisive, you know, three game period um, for for them if they're going to win the title. Yeah, I think it has been interesting the last couple of games, especially the performances. I take a lot of um, kind of encouragement from how we fought back against. Uh, Southampton to get the draw we should never have been in that situation in the first place but I think the way we kind of rallied back to get those two goals and then at the same time we could have won it at the death Um, a deflection from Reese Nelson's shot just past the post Gabriel Jesus missed a hat full of chances and I really hope that tonight he really shows the player that Man City have let go rather than the player that they don't care that he's not there anymore. I just really hope he turns up in a big way but I guess like on that note do you because I mean there has been a lot of Talking to press about Arsenal having like a, a weak mentality. And I know I asked you this last week as on my, my on the previous podcast, but for you, Marcus, do you think it is a mentality issue or is it just individual players just not performing to their standard? No, I I I, I don't necessarily think it's a mentality issue. I think Arteta has a really good mentality and he, he drills that mentality into his players as much as he can. And I just think it's an experience thing at the end of the day. Like there's a big difference between there's a big difference between leading um, you know, a team and being an assistant in a team. And Arteta obviously was part of that Man City title runs and all of that and them experience. But there's a big difference when you're leading the ship. And I think Arteta is a is a is a very, very good leader. Um, it's clear to see from watching the, the documentary on Arsenal and the whole process. He man manages players well. He's a good leader. He's a good coach. He's a very good tactician. Um, you know, it's just the lack of experience. And and I said it, I said it back when you had a Bamiyang and you finished eighth for the first time. This Arsenal squad has one world class player with four or five players on the cusp. And what has developed over these three seasons since then, four seasons since then, is that the, the, them four or five players on the cusp are performing at world-class levels. So now Arsenal have a, a core set of world-class players who have never competed for a title before. You know, I think it's worth putting some perspective that three years ago, Arsenal finished 43 points behind Liverpool oh. in the title race. Two years ago, Arsenal finished 25 points behind Man City in the title race. And last year, Arsenal finished 23 points behind Man City in the title race. But even the most optimistic Arsenal fan would have not said that at this stage in the season, Arsenal would be top of the league. So the progress is is clear to see for everyone. And I just think that if Arsenal do fall short, which I feel is the likely reality, Arsenal fans shouldn't 
phrase the season or, or overview the season as one where we sat top for so long and we threw it away, but should see it as a season of progress and incredible progress um, with a team that are young, inexperienced, and have given themselves another run of experience in the pro process that if they add two or three more players are still going to be there and thereabouts in the mix next season and are building and growing um, in the right direction because it is incredible to make a 43 point gap in three years like mm, that that's yeah. ridiculous like so that's how I see it yeah when you put it that way I think that does give a lot of like positive credence to the year I think for me I, I'm very torn on it I, I don't see it I wouldn't, I don't see it and I won't see it as a failure if we don't secure um, the title. Like I said, like considering where we've come from this year and from the previous season to where we are now, it's, 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 it's astounding how well Arsenal are being. But at the very same time, you know, it matters to hold out and get over the line. And, and my only concern is like, what impact would it have on the team to not make it? and then have to go again. I, I, I don't know whether that will be detrimental or positive. I can't really tell. I know for, as a fan, it will, it will be gutting to not get over the line. And I think in on reflection, we can all look back and say, well, what a great year we had. You know, we've come so far. But it's just, it's something about crossing that boundary. And I know you've experienced that at Liverpool with, you know, the, the, the nearly years and getting there and, and just that release of finally doing it. But I guess on that point for you, Matthew, because you guys are in like a massive transition massive massive transition and I actually wanted to just touch on this this kind of thing about the news in the press that allegedly Mauricio Pochettino is edging ever so closely to Chelsea but when you look at what Arsenal have done so far when you look at the absolute shambles that is Stamford Bridge I mean the song Stamford Bridge is falling down is very appropriate right now and <laughs> and it, it, you know it, it has been rocking the whole year but what impact are you hoping that Pochettino will have and are you happy with the news linking him to the club? I mean he's someone that knows the league really really well he's someone that worked with nothing when that time is at Spurs and I think he's been spending his last few years at PSG so he's gaining that little bit more experience across the board he ha he was a success at Spurs he's probably there probably still is to this day one of their best ever managers if not their best ever manager in terms of getting them to a sustained level of competing and to a Champions League final. Hold that thought. Marcus, I do, you, do you view Pochettino as a success at Tottenham and would you put him as one of their best managers? I think Pochettino was a success at Tottenham. Um, he, he took a Tottenham team that could never really get across the line in terms of even just finishing top four consistently. Like, to... A, champ a Champions League final, a League Cup final, two second place finishes. Like, I think all in all, you know, he was a success at Tottenham. Well, now, I think Tottenham are, are a very funny one because they're in that weird category of, and I think this is where I give Pochettino the credit that I think he deserves, is that one of the hardest transitions to make in world football, I think, is from being a B-level club to an A-level club. And and I think Tottenham made that technical transition from B to at least maybe A minus under Pochettino. <laughs> um, and and the big questions was always there: could he get them across the line? And that's the unfortunate nature of football. They didn't win a title. They didn't win a you know they didn't win a Premier League. They didn't win Champions League. They didn't win the League Cup. And he left there winning nothing. Um, but it's not like Tottenham have an illustrious history of winning trophies. So 
I think he is one of the greatest managers in Tottenham's history um, for what he's achieved at Tottenham. Um, and we just put that into perspective with the nature of who Tottenham are as a club. Because if Pochettino had came from Southampton to Liverpool and done the exact same thing that he'd done for Liverpool at Southampton, he wouldn't even be in Liverpool's top five greatest managers of all time. But that's the nature of the difference between the two clubs. No, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, but the difference, but what we have over Spurs big time is a winning mentality. Up until what, last year, we, you know, we, we are having that standard of always competing and always winning for like, what, 17, the best part of 17 years. You know, we don't win all these trophies over time for nothing. So he's going to come in and understand that, you know, even with a new head, uh, you know, a new chairman in charge, the mentality for winning is is still there because if he necessarily doesn't have it, the fans do, and some of the players do. You go as far as players. So you got players there who've been there over ten years. So like so as Blaqueta, you think of all the trophies. You know, FA Cup, Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, Club World Cup, Super Cup. He's 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 won it all. So he's now taking on and to understand that that mentality at least is, has got to somehow continue. The difference is he's now got a bigger squad. He's got a very talented squad, but a very big and very bloated squad. He's got to figure out where, who he wants coming up to, you know, you know, we're basically preparing for next year, whatever league we're going to be playing in, but we're not going to be in Europe. Give him time to get us to improve, to go up the league. Who do you want in that squad? Who is going to, who do you want? Who do you like? Who do you fancy? Because you're always still hearing rumours of Lukaku possibly returning as well from his loan spell at Italy. Hey. Now, I don't know how I personally feel about that because, you know, after that interview at Christmas, he's kind of left it all kind of hanging out. It kind of feels like, and the last thing we need is another player here that isn't going to necessarily muck in and play for the badge, you know, because you don't necessarily respect the manager, you know. We need players that want to fight. We need players that want to play. We need players that have just an ounce of initiative and discipline to try and drag us from where we are. In no way, no how, are we an 11th place team. You are, because you're there. We're there. <laughs> But are you telling me on FIFA someone can get us someone better? If I can get better on FIFA in real life, what's your problem? You know what I mean? Football manager, what's your problem? The point I'm trying to make here is this. I'm not saying that we have the right to be competing for league titles or stuff like that, but we shouldn't We shouldn't be where we are, really. We really shouldn't be. We'd be do we deserve to be? Possibly. But should we be there? No. And with someone like him, again, who's experienced in that league and does play some good football, I've... Um, I feel better than if, with him than I do with someone like Nagelsmann. I don't know much about Nagelsmann, but Pochettino is someone that I know. He's beaten us a few times, beaten you a few times, and scalped over Liverpool a few times. So as long as someone gets up, I guess, us up the table and makes him, you know, makes makes sense of his mess of a squad, um, I, he couldn't come any quicker. I'm surprised he didn't come here now because we're not in a position where we need to take on the project manager, you know, we're actually done. We're actually doing worse than we won the Potter, which was somehow a miraculous achievement. We haven't won a game in five. Well, I mean, the delay in him joining could come down to the contractual agreement he has with Tottenham upon leaving. If there's a time span on it, then maybe by the time, um, no, because he was at PSG last. I don't know. Yeah, it was five years since he left Spurs. I mean, maybe for him, it's better to just start at a fresh end of the season. Everything's done, and then you you, you have to have that massive fire sale in June. So maybe that'll be he'll maybe he'll just use the next few games just to assess how things are, look at the play look at the squad, make his prediction as to who he wants to back, who he thinks can go to war for him and who he thinks is not going to be there and usable and kind of move on from there. I guess like this is going to be a big run in for for all three of our teams as things 
Blackburns go to play. I think for you, what's the highest you can achieve now at Liverpool, Mark? What can you guys really realistically get in terms of league position? Yeah, like I think I think top four feels a long, long way away. Nine points. Um, Newcastle look on good enough form that I think they'll probably finish top four. Um, the uh, hope is that enough of them teams play against each other enough that and play against enough of the teams around there that if we can go and win our final, you know, nine games of the season, then then maybe we could still just about sneak top four. But I, I think that's hard. I, I think it's likely we'll probably finish fifth. Yay, Europa League, baby. Um, but um, but yeah, I I think I think that's the most likely outcome. I think if everything goes very well, we could finish top four. And yeah, our form has taken a upturn, but maybe just a little too late. We'll 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 see. Um, but yeah, I I'd I'd say it's most likely we'll probably finish. Yeah, definitely most likely. Mm. Matthew, what are you hoping for, believing for? What's the best you can get? 40 points. Safety? Safety? 40 points. <laughs> Safety. <I'll take> that. <laughs> top 10. I'll take top 10. Do you know how? When, do you know what makes it even worse? And I look at the table and I get mad. At, when we return from the international break in March, the team behind us, Aston Villa, had the exact same points. They're now fifth with, what, 50-odd points? This was back in March. So in that time, they've won every single game. We've lost every, lost every single game. They were behind us for a very long time. I just want to have that sink. When that sunk in, not that it hasn't sunk in already, but it just made me realise that in a short space of time, in those five games, just what could have been done if we won our winnable games and maybe had a little bit of a stumble in our not-so-winnable games. I'm not saying we'd be fifth, but we wouldn't certainly be 11th. Okay, let, let's throw it this way then. So looking at... Pochettino comes in, let's say he does come in, that's confirmed. Mm. Into next season, what are you expecting? Where do you believe you'll finish? Anywhere in the top six. Wow. Anywhere in the top six. Are you going to give us a position? I wouldn't mind finishing fifth, two points outside the top four. Wow. On, on context from, in context from this season, you tell <laughs> me, with no European football, with no European football, it, it's, a, it's a chance they're going to take a break away from it, you know? Less of a distraction for a lot of these players. So, well, you're talking about next season, right? So, next season. No, next season. Next season, Pochettino comes in, fresh start. You've cleared off the excess baggage from your squad. You've bought in, because you are going to buy again, yeah. the new players that he would want to work with. And you're saying fifth. With no, with no European distraction, you're saying fifth is what you're expecting. <laughs> I want to be in Europe. I'll, I'll be disappointed with that, to be honest. I want to be, what, you think we're going to go ahead and win the league? No, but I think you should be a lot higher than first. Second, third, fourth, maybe fourth by two yeah, but points. The, but, but, but the thing is, the thing is, when you when you look, I'm, I'm I'm making a list of like the other teams, right? And when you look at the other teams that are around there, you've got you've got City, who you know are guaranteed to to be in the top four. You, you would think inevitably, not much is going to change there. You 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 would hope that Arsenal can build upon what they've done this season and aren't just going to fall apart. So that you know you you would hope that they would be there or thereabouts. Liverpool are going to have a summer where they completely change things up, get we rid hope. of everyone, we bring hope. in a new midfield. We hope you would expect you would expect that Liverpool are going to be back and thereabouts mm. around the top four at the very least, and then. Newcastle are probably going to spend another hundred and hundred and fifty million, and quite wisely because they have done so far. Like, I then think you've got Man United. You know, you then look at Chelsea. So sixth, I think, is, is 
or top six is reasonable based on how competitive it is, I think. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I, I just think like your Chelsea, mm. like the last thing you would want to do is end up mm. in a position where you're not competing, like you're not high enough up in the table. Like to be anywhere outside of the top four places, I think for the club you have, for the, yeah. what you've done historically, and also for the for the way how Todd Bowley has reacted. Because for me, if you're going to end up fifth next season, what was the point of sacking Tuchel at the start of the project? Is it, it just doesn't make sense The funny me. thing is with him, if it wasn't for the games that he won, we would have been in a much worse position. That's go. the thing. So if anything, he's still doing us favours even right now. And I'm, going, I'm, just saying fifth or, I'm just saying in top six because in reality, the contrast of where we're coming from now, the mood of the club, the state of the club, like so many individuals just playing for themselves. It wouldn't surprise me if a top, a top six might seem a bit low, but in context of how the club is going, I see it as, as, the, as just at least get that. Or we could just do a Conte and flip the script and go win the league. Do, do you think your fans would be happy with a fifth place finish? Would you would you be going for like a domestic trophy or it's just fifth place and that's it? I, f I think if we're going to go for the domestic trophies, because they've been evading us for the past, what, five or six years, maybe do a double. You know, I think, when, you know, it's always good to do a good in you know, the domestic, you know, get a double. Let's not shy away from it. An FA Cup and a League Cup victory are great. We've lost the last how many finals. So to finally kill that hoodoo, I think would be would install a little bit more confidence to try and apply that to the league as well as improving the league at the same time. And then maybe you never know the year after that if things go really, really well. Todd Burley stops going into dressing rooms and we actually have some players who want to stay in the club. Who knows what can be achieved? I just think that there's so much in the back that's going on that's just too disruptive to a lot of these players. And it's like they can't even focus on the game. But from the point from this time last year where... You know, the whole thing with Roman and the sanction put a lot of jobs at risk. So the owner coming in and taking complete and utter control and not knowing exactly how to run a Premier League club to signing all these players just like that, like that, like that, like that, like that without knowing your best squad and hiring a manager who, let's be honest, was not ready to, to, take, to get rid of all of that to somehow flipping it around to, you know, same way how we, we somehow thought we could win the Champions League, we could beat Real Madrid was, was completely naive, utterly naive. That's why I'm thinking a top six with maybe a good domestic double cup run or something would be good just to kind of steady the ship because we're still sinking at the moment. We need to see the back of this season. We need to just realise, I think, every, at all parts of the club, players, owners, and whoever need to have a long look at, some, look at themselves and realise that what's gone wrong this year to do right next year with one, having a manager with a little bit more experience and who is used to performing at a top level. And above all, most importantly, is he a Chelsea man? That's the one thing that Pochettino's got a... Is he a Chelsea man? Based, based on your criteria? Do you think he fits that bill? He's going to have more of a backbone than Potter. He's going to have much more of a backbone, which is one, he, which he needs to have. He needs to have more. When you're, when you're working with players like Messi and Mbappe and Neymar, you need some kind of backbone. You need some kind of chat or a bite back or something. And he's more likely to have it than Potter. Not more than Tuchel, but more than Potter. Well, I tell you what, the way how PSG capitulated in his in his season, I don't know. I wouldn't really be that confident that he has mm. that. I think, if anything, it's it's more... that. If that's a, thing, a key criteria you're looking for, I would be really concerned because that was something that I was very shocked at is how they just fell apart in their Champions League run. But for you, Mark, looking ahead to next season for Liverpool, what is your expectations of, of a place finish and what trophies would you like to see make its way back to 
Anfield Road? Uh, top four has to be. Um, I, I don't think there's any any excuse whether in Europe or not in Europe. Um, top four has to be the minimum expectation. Um, I think the big question mark is going to be where do Liverpool line up when the season kicks off? You know, like we can we can say everything we want to say now, but you know if if we get to you know the start of the season and our midfield is Curtis Jones, Jordan Henderson, and Fabinho, um, then I'm gonna say I'll take forty points. Um, <laughs> but but you know the, the 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 reality is that you know if 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 the changes that are expected to be made are made and you know we're able to sign two or three new you know don't have to be Jude Bellingham midfielders, but you know at the end of the day three midfielders that cost the price of Jude Bellingham are probably going to do a better job than just Jude Bellingham. And, and I think that's the logic behind um, that that situation. As much as I would love Jude Bellingham, I, I think, you know, the, the reality is if you get, you know, Nicola Barella, you know, Mason Mount and, you know, uh, Moses Caicedo, maybe, um, or McAllister, um, you know, the three of them playing as your new midfield or Jude Bellingham are to argue that you're you're making bigger progress by signing the three of them. Um, but Liverpool need to get back to signing players that are Liverpool players that fit the Liverpool model. You know, Gapco is that that example but in midfield you know you, you we, we want someone that fits 22 to 24 that in two years you know has the potential with the right coaching and the right guidance to become one of the best midfielders or better midfielders um in world football i don't need the best midfielder in world football i take three of the top 20 midfielders in world football and i'd be quite happy um you know so yeah i think and that's got to be the expectation. Champions League is, you know, something that we most likely won't be playing in. But if we do, by some miracle, get top four, then the Champions League's always, you know, got to be a focus. Um, Europa League, yeah, yeah. I think inevitably you, you want to give yourself as many chances as you can to be playing in the Champions League next year. And, and if that means it's going to be a competitive battle for top four, then... You want to give yourself the opportunity by winning the Europa League. So you want to keep that open. You want to be playing strong squads, strong enough squads to be able to compete there. Um, don't really care too much for the domestic trophies, to be honest. Um, I'll leave them for Newcastle. Um, and yeah, they're my thoughts. Well, I'm expecting a top four finish from Arsenal again. I'm hoping that this experience and this taste of challenging for the title will spur them on um, next season to keep that same energy. Just to have a little quick little update on the game that's taking place today that we can't review and talk about for those listening after the fact. So you know how it all went down. But um, he's picked this. He's picked what I classify as the quote unquote best available team. Um, so we've got Ramsdale in goal, back four of White holding Gabriel and Zinchenko, and the whole church says, please, Jesus, <laughs> have your way. Uh, midfield three of Partey, Xhaka and Erdegaard, and the front three, as expected, of Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. Lord, have your way. We are going to move on from Arsenal because there's nothing we can say that you won't already know. So there's no point in you having my thoughts and feelings about the lineup and how I think the game's going to go because you know how it went. 
Um, and that's all I have to say about that. And so will I as, as I'm editing this. But um, I want to move over to something really exciting. So there's been a lot of debate online about who's the best centre-back in Premier League history. Virgil van Dijk, Nemanja Vidic. Ferdinand came out and added his two pence in it. Vidic was recently interviewed um, as part of a, a show this past week. So he has obviously chimed in and shared a lot about his experience at Manchester United. But I thought it would be really fun for us to do our own Mount Rushmore of the Premier League. So I'm going to switch over to asking Craig and Matthew to share their five best players in the positions that we've picked. It's not all the positions, we've just gone for the top fives in order of your goalkeeper, your centre-back, central midfielders, your wingers, which can be wide midfielders, or wingers, wing forwards, and of course, your strikers. But we're going to start off at the very back. The men that do the job, that put smiles on their parents' faces and keep punters in good pockets when they put bets on clean sheets, which is the goalkeeper. So Matt, who are your top five Premier League goalkeepers of all time in order? Starting at number five. In order. All right. He's a left field one, but I'm going to go with... Underrated legend, Yussi Jaskalainen. Underrated legend. That's your number five. Number four. Uh, number four is going to be, I'm going to say, Pepe Reina. Reina. Again, another good mainstay. Bit Great. Um, kind of revolutionised the goalkeeper game when he arrived. Sweeper, sweeper keeper, I'm going to go with Edison. Edison, number three. Ooh, number two. Ooh, so I've eliminated one. It's one surprise one. So you get his nominal mention. Number two, this was tough. I'm going to go with David Seaman. Safe hand Seaman. Okay. In, instrumental to, uh, you know, the cause. And number one, going to go to the greatest goalkeeper, Premier League goalkeeper of all time. With the helmet, Mr. Petr Cech. Ooh. Can I do my honorable mention? Which I kind of, I kind of nope. like, no? Just a five? Nope. All right, cool. Just a five. You give me something That's to think about that. now? Whew. That's on heck of a list. Craig, who have you got as your five goalkeepers? Number five, I've gone for um, a very consistent goalkeeper. He didn't win a lot. In, he didn't, yeah, I think he only won the League Cup in the Premier League era, but it was very consistent. Played a very a late in, the, in his career. I have to go for Brad Friedel. Oh, Friedel. Good one. Okay, number Brad four. Brad Friedel, number four. I'm going to go for um, Tim Howard. Howard. Mm. All right. Mm. Number three. Number three. I'm going to go for Allison. Allison at three. Number two. Peter Schmeichel. Schmeichel. Mm. It would be number one, but no, there's somebody else I like, so I have to put in number two. Okay. Number two. Number one. Sorry. Number one. David Seaman. Safe hand Seaman. Safe hand Seaman. As an Arsenal fan, there's nobody I could put him second, or he has to be number one for me because of what he did for Arsenal all those years and staying in the game for such a long time, consistent. I remember one save he made against Paul Pacini, uh in this FA Cup semi-final at 40 odd, over 40 years old. And I thought to myself, how the hell did he save that? Mm. He's a legend at Arsenal, so David Seaman. Very interesting. Guys will hear mine later. <laughs> Centre-backs. Matthew, who have you got? Ooh, number five, number five, number five, number five. I'm going to go for... Someone that doesn't get a mention a lot in a lot of lists. I'm gonna go for Nemanja Vidic. Very Vidic. good defender. Ooh. Very, four. very good defender. Number four. 
is going to be, I'm going to say Virgil. BVD. BVD. Fire. So that's Virgil had a village though, so that's kind of consistent with the online <laughs> consensus. <laughs> Number three. Number three, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for Sol Campbell. I'm going to go for the mighty, mighty Sol Campbell. Taurus Rock. Third. Rock of a defender. Now, I had to be honest with myself this, looking back on it. This was very hard to call. Terry's at number two. Oof. Terry's at number two. That is a hard one. It was hard. Very, very difficult. So who's number one? There's one defender that's probably better. Ugh. And then tarnish his reputation as well. And that is going to be the mighty Vincent Company. Ooh. Vincent that Company. not who I was expecting to hear for number one. But hey, we move. Yeah. Craig? Number five, I'm gonna go for. I know, I know, I know. You play. He played for my rival club, but you have to give credit credit to. He was a very good defender, Ledley King. A number five, Ledley King. Oh, that's a, that's nice of you to include a Spurs player. Very left very field. Very nice of you. Very. That's a very good player. You got well, technically there. You know, Campbell was also a Spurs player. He was your captain. <laughs> okay, number four, I'm going to go with. Um, I know I'm going to go for number four. I'm going to go for Nevaeh Vidic. Vidic as well. All right. Who you got for number three? Number three, I'm going to go with John Terry. Terry. We have a song for him, but... (laughs) 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 Number two? So Campbell. Campbell. Who is your number one? Rio Ferdinand. For all all the trophies he's won and his consistency as a player... I have to say Rio Ferdinand. He started out very young as well, 17. So I think it's and, he, and he and he won he would have won more England caps for not for injuries and all that. So I have to say Rio Ferdinand. Be someone gonna be right. executed from the list. Matt, we're back to you. Central midfielders now. Central midfielders. Number five. Difficult. Very difficult. I'm gonna go with Yaya Torre. Starting off oh. strong with Yaya Torre. Yeah, yeah. No birthday cakes yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And possibly Legend. the best chance in football. Uh, next, number four is going to be, I'm going with another Man City player, Mr. De Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne, anchoring masterclass. You could, you could put him on a ship, but the, the boat would stay. <laughs> Brilliant player. Number three. Three, I'm going to go with Gerard at number three. Oh. Absolute, just you know, inspirational. I think he's like Liverpool through and through. He can go to someone, some Liverpool man's door, and they'll just let him through. Fantastic player. We nearly bought him. Number two, Patrick Vieira. Mm-hmm. Patrick Vieira at number two. Number one. There's only going to be one all time top scorer, not so good manager, but we love him anyway, Mr. Frank Lampard. Super, super Frank, 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 Good choice. All right. Number uh, four. Number four, I'm going to go with um, Paul Scholes, Premier Goals. League legend. Three. 
Steven Gerrard. Steve Gerrard, Gerrard. Can't repeat the rest of the song. <laughs> but it went to them. Number two. Number two. Number three, no? No, two, though. You judge Gerrard. Two. Akotcha so, scored Gerrard. Number two. Roy Keane. Keane. That means number one. Patrick Vieira. Patrick. Patrick. Why have you done to here, my bro. son? <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, what have you done? All right. So from the... Oh, we're up to the wing now. Going okay. to the wings. So this can be wide forwards or wide midfielders. Now, ideally, I should split them. But I'm not going to. I don't want to. We'll have to make this difficult. And some players, you know, they, they could get put in as strikers, but you could probably put them as mid wide Wingers, wide midfielders. Matthew, number five. Number five. I'm going to go with the first player I ever had in the back of my shirt because I just love watching him play. Short impact, but a great impact. And that's Mr. Iron Robin. His best right. years were probably at Bayern, but what an impact he had when he came to Chelsea. Back-to-back Premier Leagues. Lovely stuff. Number four. Number four is going to be a player that, I kind of admired in a way when I look back on it and I didn't give him enough respect and that's Alexis Sanchez. Streets will never forget Sanchez. They won't forget his impact was his his impact was actually next like really like something else. Number three. Excellent finish, Mo Salah. Mm. Excellent finish, Mo Salah. I don't know better. (laughs) Right. Next two. Now I had to be real. I had to be real. Bias couldn't come through on this one. Bunker put through one of my favourites, all-time Chelsea great in Hazard. Lit up the Premier League when he was here. Coquelin, he's still spinning. In bed, spinning. Shower, spinning. He is, but Everything spinning. You know, Driving, spinning. To be fair, to be that's <laughs> fair. We have the Kante. <laughs> Superman! And you, you got Beyblade Coquelin. So, hey, we, we, we finally got you back. That That's true. We finally got you back. It's even now. I'm saying. Uh, get Don't worry. Watching the, it. Next uh, one loading. Uh, next one. Uh, yeah, it's only going to be one. Only going to be one. Mr. Sue himself. CR7. I'm talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Has to be. Craig, what you got for me? Number, Number five. Number five. Um, he won the double at Arsenal. Mark Overmars. Speed Ooh. merchant couldn't stop him when on his day unplayable. On to old four? school. Number four, Ryan Giggs. Giggsy, Giggsy and Terry got a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> so I got four of Mars Giggs. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. How do that free? Oh my god, Oof. your two got to be special. <laughs> Number two. Number two, um, Robert Perez. Oof. Mm. That's very contentious. I was going to put move. him in. And number yes. one. Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl is your Whoa. best winger I can, I can slash wide. <laughs> no, no. It's your list. Okay. Winger slash wide player there's in the Premier League. Harry Kuehl. There's a player I didn't think of. There wow. you go. Right. Strikers. Matt, where we're at. Okay. Okay. This is this hard. I know Every. I've been saying this, but this is probably the toughest one to put at number five because it almost kind of feels like a disrespect between these two guys. But I'm going to put <sighs> Alan Shearer's at number five. 
Jesus is I told you, I told you, I told you someone's going to get upset. But the out the, the the silverware output just doesn't match up. But again, two hundred and sixty goals in the Premier League, probably never going to be beaten. You know, he he's earned his spot on the list and on anyone's list really if it comes to strikers. Number four. Just have to say, I'm still spun by Craig Pitt and Harry Kane as the best <laughs> That's a League. special in, one in his opinion. That's it's called in your opinion. Special one. Um, a hard one. Going to go with Aguero at number four. Right, number three. Love to have him at our club. Number three is going to be Mister. I don't. I don't like this kid, but he's a bona fide Man United legend. That's Wayne Rooney. Bona fide Man United legend. Like, right. Without a shadow number of a doubt. Two. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Forget it. I'm doing it. Mr. Vavavum was at number two. He made the Renault clear. He put he put Renault clear on the map. Went did, the coolest he car. He did, he did, he did. Va, vavum, <laughs> man. We don't do car adverts, just not the same. But you all know who I was going to put. I missed him out last time. I'm not missing him this time. Mr. Big Man for the big occasion, man. Showstopper. DDA Drogba. I'm doing it this time. Forget That's it. Fine. It's your list. <laughs> I'm not judging you. Okay. <laughs> like at me. He's still looking at me. He's stirring. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Cool. Judging no one's list. All, all I'm right, saying then. is, okay, yeah. boy. Okay. Questionable. Okay. Craig, what you got? Number five. Andy Cole. Cole. Ooh. Cole the goal. Cole the goal. Number four. Um, Alan Shearer. Shearer. Number three. Eric Cantona. Cantona. This is like fr- I like it. I like old school vibes, man. <laughs> number two. Um, number two. So I had so I had um So so far you've got Andy Cole. Cole Andy Cole, Shearer, and Cantona. And number two, I'm gonna have Michael Owen. And who's number one? Mm. Thierry Henry, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a very interesting list. I am shocked, confused, <laughs> outraged, <laughs> and a bit disappointed with some of them. Not gonna lie. Still spun by Harry Kill. <laughs> I feel like that one might be the most egregious decision of all of them. Others we can argue left and right, but Harry Kill as number one. <laughs> I think even Harry Kuehl <laughs> I want to turn attention over to you, Mark. So I want you to run me through your top five. We're going to start in goal. I'm going to go in reverse order. So from five all the way up to number one. Who have you got for me? So goalkeepers, number five, um, David De Gea. Number four, Alisson. Number three, Peter Schmeichel. Number two, Padacek. And number one, Edwin van der Sar. Wow. All right. That's interesting. So my five are number five, Edwin van der Sar. Number four, Petacek. Number three, Dave Seaman. Number two, Alison. And number one, Peter Schmeichel. It's quite an interesting spread, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I guess the, the the thing I'd say is what what made you pick um, Van der Sar as your first choice? Yeah, well, I, I think I think Van der Sar, Czech, and Peter Schmeichel are all above 
kind of stand out to me. Like, they, you know, they've all won hatfuls of Premier League titles. They've all won hatfuls of FA Cups, um, you know, and, and them domestic trophies. And, 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 I, and I just think, I think for me, Van der Sar was the most dominant of the three of them goalkeepers. He, I think he was underrated for a lot of his career, but, you know, he had a lot of, a lot of success at United um, under Ferguson, and you know, obviously Schmeichel was the the first one of them keepers, um, and then Van der Sar, you know, picking up and following um, in the first steps. It pains me to have three Man United goalkeepers in my top five. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, um, you know, but um, but yeah, I think you know you can toss a coin between the three of them, in my opinion. Then Allison does just I think fall a little below, but but they're my thoughts. Yeah, I think for me, I looked at it and I, I, like I said, I had to have Van der Sar in there because I just think his, his longevity as a goalkeeper from his time at Fulham and then going to Man United at his age and still being so dependable and so good. But I had to go number one for Peter Schmeichel. I think just for me growing up and seeing what, for me anyway, what to find a goalkeeper, especially in English football, Peter Schmeichel at the t- is always going to be a name that you'll put there for when it comes to the Premier League years. Obviously going further back as an Arsenal fan, you've got Pat Jennings, is it, you know, from thinking about the national team level, you've got Gordon Banks. And I think, you know, every generation you've had a standout goalkeeper. And for me, Siemens era, because Siemens and Schmeichel played around the same time, but it feels like there was a, I guess it wasn't really a battle on passing because they played to, around the same era. But for me, between the two of them, I think Schmeichel just stood out, especially the way how he would make saves. He would make himself really big and do that starfish shape thing. And mm. we saw for Leicester when they won the league, you know, you know, a few years ago, how Kasper just took on board his father's um, best traits as a goalkeeper and, and just kind of emulated a lot of his famous saves and just kind of the mentality as well. Because it wasn't just what he did, like, in terms of between the sticks of his job, but it's just the impact he had on that back line. Like, he just radiated confidence. And then, you know, I know you had De Gea in your top five, but I think for me, I can't put him there because that guy just doesn't radiate confidence. He's, he's just a walking disaster. I know he's had, he's got longevity and he's had some good seasons for Man United, but he's just a walking catastrophe of a goalkeeper and, and yeah, they need to move on from him in the summer as soon as possible. thing about it though is when I, is when I think of David Seaman, I immediately think of Ronaldinho and, and, and I, I can't shake it like every single time. I, you know, I know he was a great goalkeeper. I know he did a great job uh, for Arsenal for a handful of years. Um, but yeah, when, when I think of David Seaman, I think of Ronaldinho and, 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 and I think that, you know, in that regard, you're right. De Gea certainly had, um, you know, a period where, you know, from the World Cup, he was a bit shaky. But I also think he's redeemed himself. Um, again, he's been one of my United's better players this season. Um, he still pulls off saves that I just think, how the hell did you save that? Like, and, you know, I remember, I remember 10 to 15 games where I can say, Man United were dreadful. They only won that game because De Gea made about five five world class saves and ten other saves in the game. I remember Tottenham getting absolutely, oh Man United getting absolutely battered by Tottenham and David De Gea making about twenty saves and Man United winning the game by a goal. and And I think it's that for me that that was stand out from from De Gea's perspective and the fact that when he came in to England, there was a lot of pressure on him early. He was young and managed to sustain himself and make himself the number one goalkeeper of one of the best teams in England at that time. Um, you know, 
just about makes my top five. Um, you know, I, I can see the case for Seaman. Um, but but yeah, I'd probably still just about go to here. Oh, that's fair, that's fair. Just on Schmeichel, actually, on his, or Casper Schmeichel, actually, it's amazing to see that when he left from Leicester, to go to Nice, just where Leicester are now, for where yeah. he, for where they are, and he was also their captain. So you can very clearly see in Casper and Peter, Casper is his son. Oh yeah, Casper is definitely. I'm not surprised that Nice, I think, are doing well in the um, Conference League, Europe Conference League as well, doing quite well in that. Yeah. So they might have a chance of winning it, but I think it's West Ham's this year. Yeah. All right, let's move up to centre back. This is definitely one that is hotly contested, and and they'll be very curious to see what your your top three are. Um, but I will go first this time. So my five are Rio Ferdinand in fifth position. Four, Sol Campbell. Number three, Yap Stam. Number two, and, I, and I, I debated this back and forth for at least half an hour yesterday. Um, Nemanja Vidic and number one, Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> what? I said what I said. I didn't start. Wow. I said it with chest. <laughs> One second. Oh, okay. Ooh. You're gonna have to explain you're gonna have to explain something to me in a second, but but that's okay. Um, okay. Number five, Saul Campbell. Number four, Rio Ferdinand. Number three, Vincent Company. Number two, Virgil van Dijk. Number one, John Terry. Yeah, I, I had Terry in mind, but I was never gonna pick him for many reasons. Um, <laughs> the bias is coming in. No, it's, it's not. It's, no, it's bias Premier League centre backs. No, it's not. It's not even about bias. I just, just don't want to pick him. I just think he. I think he's an. I think he's an incredible player. But he's he he was on my reserve list, and I just didn't want to include him. But yeah, and I actually completely forgot about Vincent Company. To be fair, uh, he was my number one. But I still wasn't gonna. Wouldn't put him in my list. So. Yeah, I think for me, again, I, I just really wanted to kind of tie up the, the I guess, because I feel like the Premier League is split into three eras, really. You've got the the inception era, which is from, I think, 94 or 92, 94, through till 90, no, through, yeah, through to like 99. Then you've got 2000 to like 2008, and then you have 2009 onwards but even then you could probably split that again for what the current seasons are and when I think about it in terms of those kind of time brackets I think about you know Yapstam and how good he was at Man United and then the impact of him leaving and how they had a massive drop off until they finally got around to replacing him I think about you know when you look at Sol Campbell and how he is just grossly grossly underrated in fact most of the time you don't even hear his name mentioned in these kind of debates about top centre-backs and yeah, I, I picked Vidic and, and, and Virgil as my top two because I just feel like the, the impact they've had on their teams, like for you guys with um, Virgil when he came in and just the difference he's made to Liverpool and just in just kind of completing that job that was done when you started with Alisson, you kind of built your spine out and he just was the final piece in the puzzle. And then again, for Vidic, it's the same. Like Man United were struggling to find that competent partner for Rio for a while and then he came along and it was just like a match made in heaven and in fact you know he wasn't infallible there's that game when Fernando Torres put him in the spliff and sent him to the shop so you know he, he and, and we've seen that with Virgil recently where he's gotten spun a few times by players so it does happen but I think he he for me was those two for me were the two best 
Vincent, yeah, maybe now on reflection, probably could have gotten in with a shout. Definitely should be in with a shout. John Terry's not in there for obvious ethical reasons. <laughs> Look, I think I think you know, I, getting you know, putting aside any any bias, trying my best to look at it from a, a as non Liverpool perspective as I can. John Terry was literally the best defender across all of Chelsea's eras. He won everything with Chelsea. He won four Premier League titles, five FA Cups, four League Cups, a Champions League, a Europa League, and literally across a generation. Now, granted, he was a thug, um, but you know that is the reality of his kind of day within the Premier League. You know, you argue whether it was Yapstan or Tony Adams or Martin Keown or you know Vidic to compliment. Ferdinand's passing football there was always someone that was a bit of a bruiser and for Chelsea it was Terry and you know the the stylish beautiful lovely passing footballer was Carvalho and 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 I think that partnership was stunning um and 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 I think longevity wise that's why Terry outstrips Van Dyke for me but Van Dyke's impact on Liverpool as you said is significant company is the best centre-back in the best Man City team ever and arguably that man city team has been the best team in premier league history um which is why i think he has to be in and quite high obviously rio brilliant defender and as you've said you know campbell doesn't get the the praise that he deserves but yeah i think that's that's where i where i land on that one that's fair enough all right center mid what what, what you got for us Ah, uh, yeah, this is where my controversy comes, I'm sure. I'm going to be accused of all sorts of bias here. Um, number five, Yaya Torre. Number four, Kevin De Bruyne. Number three, Luka Modric. Number two, Frank Lampard. Number one, Steven Gerrard. Luka Modric for his Premier League. Ooh, that is left of the left field. Wow. I, I, okay. Wow. Old. I like wow. it. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm struggling to even <laughs> write his name <laughs> in my phone. My phone is so confused. He keeps trying to call him Morris. No, it's Modric, mate. Well, in terms of my five, I've gone for what you might classify as a traditional five, with maybe one that you could argue. Fifth place, I've got Frank. Fourth, Sesk. Third, KDB. Second, Steven Gerrard. And number one, Patrick Vieira. Don't really think I need to. Is that your case? I, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't feel like I, I don't think I need to. I think because like, looking at how the Premier League has evolved over time from, you know, when it was not overly technical and it was more about strength and aggression to becoming more technical to now we've gone to this sort of hybrid model where athleticism is being valued again. I think Vieira is an archetype midfielder that fits throughout any era. You could plop him into the current era right now and he would still be one of the best midfielders in the game, in the league, comfortably. You know, you know when, when, when we were in the tiki-taka era, again, he would still would have fit fine because he could do that. You know, he, he's not really a destroyer as most people have him down as he's a box-to-box midfielder and he can do the whole lot. And he's a great leader and a general. So for me, he was always going to be number one. And I had Gerard number two because I feel like those two are what you classify as like archetype Premier League midfielders. When you think of a midfielder in the Premier League, those two come to mind. Um, for time reasons, I'm not really going to go through the rest. But um, for you, what made you pick Modric? Because that's the only one. And, and yeah, what made you pick Modric in your in your list? Yeah, like I, I think I think too much too much emphasis is placed on 
on did the player or was the player less special just because he was at Tottenham when it comes down to Luka Modric. Luka Modric was the greatest midfielder Tottenham have ever had by a mile. And in that Tottenham midfield was so incredibly dominant in a season when Tottenham finished second in the league in a period where, more specifically, um, I think under Redknapp, was in the Champions League the furthest that they've gone with Van der Vaart, Bale, um, Van der Vaart, Bale and Modric, um, as, as, and even Scotty Parker as a nice little sitting midfielder. Um, but I think the, 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 the facts are that one year later, Luka Modric went to Real Madrid and, and um, played his first season at Real Madrid. And at the end of that first season at Real Madrid, Florentino Perez said that Luka Modric is the most influential and important player in this Real Madrid team. If you ask me of any player in which I don't want to lose, it would be Luka Modric. A team that had Cristiano Ronaldo in it. A team that had Benzema in it. A team that had all of these great players. And the facts are still that at 37, Luka Modric is one of the greatest midfielders in world football. I, I don't think he was any less as good a player at Tottenham as he was six months later when he was playing at Real Madrid. He was just around better players. And I think the difference is as to why I can't put him higher on my list is, is that fact that both Gerard and Lampard are Premier League legends and have, you know, sustained Premier League success over a long period of time. I hear your case regarding Vieira. I think if you want to know why Vieira is not in my list, you can blame yourself and not having defensive midfielders and attacking midfielders. Um, and I just kind of went more for the the kind of overall. And I I take a case that he was box to box, but I I saw him more defense more in the defensive minded. And as you can see with my list, they're kind of more midfield slash attacking kind of dynamic uh, midfielders more than anything else. But but yeah, that's my case for Modric. I, I think he. He is no doubt one of the greatest midfielders in 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 the in world history, um, and and I think his time in the Premier League he was as good as a midfielder as he has has been when he moved on. That's that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's a common misconception of Vieira because when you think about his eras at Arsenal, he always had a very good defensive minded player next to him. You know, to start off with, he had Petit, and they had that massive yeah. duo. Then of course, Gilberto further on. Edu was there in part and obviously Parler played his role next to him as well. Yeah. Let's move on up True. to the position that I think probably could be the most controversial of them all outside of the striker, winger or wide midfielder. I could have probably done two categories, but I really wanted to make it a challenge and a stretch. Um, what's your five? Um, number five um, is Janola. Number four is Robin. Number three is Hazard. Number two is Ronaldo, and number one is Mo Salah. Ooh, that's interesting. I, I actually was going to include Janela in mine, but he didn't make the cut. My five is um, uh, number five, Robert Perez. Number four, David Beckham. Number three, Eden Hazard. Number two, Mo Salah, and number one, Cristiano Ronaldo. And between one and two, it, it was it was tough. Um, but in the end, I thought Cristiano would get it. Um, yeah, that's mine really. Janela was was close, but I, when I, again I think about impact that players had on the season and, and for Perez for winning the Player of the Year back in two thousand and two, considering he missed half the season with a cruciate ligament injury, 
and he still won player of the year says everything about how influential he was and a double but yeah I think for me he was just exceptional and then the, even how he reinvented his game coming back from such a serious injury and was still effective lost a lot of pace lost a lot of dynamism but he still found a way to be as effective as he was prior to that yeah no it's, it's, it's a fair point I think you know the case is the same for Ginola he won the PFA player of the year in 99 when Man United won travel um you know so i, I think the, the case is similar in in that regard um look i i heard a, a great stat that i wanted to share on the podcast um about most hour today and obviously he's my number one and this is the place to to talk about what an incredible footballer most seller is he's so good of a footballer that most seller has been booked more times for taking his shirt off and and, and against Man United and goals scored against Man United, the Man United have scored goals at Anfield since Mo Salah signed for Liverpool. <laughs> you know how crazy that is? That is... <laughs> so look, t- nah. That is... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't have any yep. words. How do you... Yeah, how do you combat... <laughs> Man United fans do better, innit? That's yeah, they do better. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what else can you say? That's that's astounding. That is that is un, that is unbelievable. Wow. That <laughs> oh. and, and and obviously the same case that I made for Modric is the case that you could make for Ronaldo. And if you are making that case, I can see why Ronaldo would be number one. He was great at Man United. He did really well. Scored lots of goals. Evolved into one of the best players in world football, and then went on to Real Madrid to become one of the greatest of all time players. Like you know, he he wasn't any less of a player really at United than he was at, uh, at Madrid, and I think the case is the same. But I I still think that when you think about what Salah has done in the Premier League since coming back to Liverpool off the back of being rejected by Chelsea basically and going and having to recreate himself in Italy. Um, it is absolutely exceptional. He he has been, you know, 20 goals a season for five, six seasons, 30 goals a season a couple of times, 40 goals a season, you know, once or twice too. Um, it, you know, in that in that season when we lost the final to Madrid, um, Mo Salah was on par with Messi and Messi was having a great season and Mo Salah's stats and performances were on that on that level. And and I think Mo Salah is one of the greatest attacking players in Premier League history, one of the greatest wingers in Liverpool history. And, you know, we, we have a we have a whole host of them. So yeah, and you know, God forbid I put another Man United player even higher on my list. So there you go. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I, I think what's, what works well in Ronaldo's favour for me is that from the moment he joined the league, he just looked like something special and he just never stopped and he just kept getting better and better and better. And I think for Salah, obviously in his first spell at Chelsea, it was he was okay, but it just, I don't know, there wasn't enough. But you didn't play him. You guys are idiots, but well, you, well, yeah, well no, no change there. Right. <laughs> the, the, it was the same with Kevin De Bruyne as well. Yeah, well, you know, Chelsea, they... You were fine. I mean, I'm hoping they... That, that, well, all I'm hoping is that that same spirit of confusion hits them again. They do the same with Mihailo Mudrik and, and send him over to the red and white side of London. Right, strikers, our last position of the night. Do you like? Would you like to kick off the honours? Who have you got as your No, no, you can, kick, you can kick us off the honours this time. I did it last time. We'll Go ahead, the coin. All right, I'll fly through kick mine. I'll fly through mine. I know, I know this is going to be controversial. Number five, Didier Drogba. 
Number four, Harry Kane. Number three, Wayne Rooney. Number two, Alan Shearer. And last but not least, Mr. Avavoom. Number one, Thierry Omri. Thank you very much. Very good. Um, number five, Harry Kane. Number four, Luis Suarez. Number three, Alan Shearer. Number two, Conor Guerrero. Number one, Thierry Omri. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I... I, I thought about Aguero and he, he was he was under consideration. But, I, but for me, I think my argument, and I, thought, I think we were saying it as well when we did um, the, the first part with you and Craig Matthew, is that the, the all-time top, top goal scorer just has to be in that conversation. And I know, I know it's tough because, you know, you look at what Aguero has done, you look at what Suarez did in his spill at Liverpool, spill at Liverpool and, and just how dangerous he was as a striker. But for me, I can't not have the top goal scorer of all time no. in the Premier League out there. And considering his longevity as well, um, yeah, that's why Shiro had to make the cut for me. Yeah, well, well, you know, obviously, you know, I hate to be biased here, but I had the all-time top goal scorer make the cut and Sergio Aguero as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, I, oh, I, yeah. I hear you. I, I hear you. Shira had it's, to make the list. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it's Wayne. It's, it's Wazza. You know what? I think... It's Wazza. It's Wazza. You know what? Really, for me, the reason why he got in is quite simple because we were, we, were, we were talking about this as well in last week's episode about who's the face of the Premier League or who has been the face of the Premier League and is there a face right now? And I think, you know, in light of the recent seasons, I think we, we could definitely name a bald man from the Basque region of Spain who would comfortably be the face of the Premier League in Mr. Pep Guardiola, but he's obviously not a player. But when you look back through, you know, the kind of like the the early 2000s um, or like the mid-2000s. Mid late 2000s, yeah. yeah. Wayne Rooney, you just can't escape that guy. He was everywhere. Every FIFA, that guy's face was there. You know, he had he has had one of the he has one of the best Nike adverts of all time, which was the one before the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, where he imagines it all going horribly wrong, and he, and the ironic thing is that that future ver version of Rooney existed because he grew his beard as long as he did in that advert. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, he's he's just an ever present, and you know, he had such a great um, career. Man United's all time top goal scorer was England's top goal scorer until Mr. Kane, who probably will go to United in the summer, ended up taking that off him. But yeah, I think there's good arguments for everyone in our lists, really. But the thing about the thing about Rooney is, and you know, I'll always say it, is that he was always the bridesmaid and never the bride, right? Like, you know, that, and, and that's the difference between Rooney and everyone else on this list, is that Henri was the man at Arsenal. Aguero was the man at Man City. Even Suarez for a period, the man at Liverpool. Kane has been the man at Tottenham for, you know, the entire time. Drogba was the man at Chelsea. Um, you know, Waza was always the bridesmaid to a different player every season, no matter who it was, whether it was Ronaldo, whether it was Berbatov, whether it was Tevez. Um, Waza was always the bridesmaid never the bride and he was a very attractive bridesmaid who most people would be very happy to have you know take home at the end of the night but nonetheless um i think that is the the thing that for me means that rooney just about misses out on the top five what's your closing thoughts on this week's podcast interesting list i think 
pretty much all the players. There's all, with these kind of lists, there's always going to be someone that just misses out. Looking back on the last list that I did, maybe one that Craig did, there's going to be a case of where all could have had that player, all could have had that player for that kind of reason. I think if you open it to a top 10, then it gets easier for certain positions. I think with managers, it might get a little bit more difficult because you just go into space really but I could have added I, I look back on mine and think thinking like ooh think a bit more in fact the very moment I got home last week I thought ah oh, did I get that wrong I didn't get it wrong my list was perfect but um <laughs> oh the listeners will be the ones to decide that and they definitely will but um yeah it was <laughs> yeah I mean there's always I think there's some we're always going to agree on like Henri we're always going to pretty much agree on he's as a striker even if there's like certain players that don't win but you have to have them like his shearers um, Defender-wise, like your Van Dyke's midfielders could be like De Bruyne's and everything. It's always going to be some goalkeepers could be Schmeichel, Czech, Seaman. There's always going to be someone that we have there. They're like go-tos and they're go-tos for a reason. So um, I think we've done well with our list. We might change it. It'd be interesting if we did if we changed our minds, especially with ones that are still currently playing in like two or three seasons' time. Do we look at it any differently? Do we like any legends make way for maybe more up-and-coming legends? Who knows? Who knows indeed. Well, we're going to wrap up things there right now. As you all know, and as I've repeated numerous times throughout this podcast, as you are listening, you know the result of Arsenal versus Man City. (laughs) I do not. And I'm going to go home and find out. But thank you all for listening. (laughs) Have a good rest of the week. We'll be back reacting on the result of that game and all the games that's happened in the midweek. There's been some exciting performances, some questionable ones. Leicester, I think you guys will be fine. I think you will stay up. Leeds, um, keep praying. (laughs) <laughs> Keep praying. And we'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace.